Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC Sports. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurt. It's Tuesday, August 31st, last day of August. That means football season's coming up. It's week one, people. Finally, the football season's here. We are going to preview or bring you really kind of what to expect for the Virginia Tech football season, some of our breakout candidates, some of the question marks, some of what we expect to see. And then we're going to preview the North Carolina matchup, a huge ACC Coastal battle to get the season started in Lane Stadium. There's going to be fans in stands. I'm pretty excited. But before all that, Tim, what's going on? I'm good, man. Time's moving really, really slow right now, as it always seems to do uh, the week leading up to the start of the college football season. But I realized today that the feeling you used to get before Christmas Eve as a kid is the exact feeling that I get this entire week in the lead up for college football. And it was nice to have that week zero kind of appetizer, uh, you know, to have a couple of college football games, none that were too terribly exciting. Um, But man, oh man, am I ready for football this weekend. There's no doubt. I mean, how are you, you know, we've got, we've got USF and North Carolina State. So obviously you've got some rooting interest there in the old Wolfpack to kick off really the ACC slate for the weekend on Thursday night. Then we've got the Virginia Tech North Carolina game at 6 p.m. Eastern, which I hate. I'm in the central time zone. That's a tough, that's a tough time slot, but I'm going to make it work. Um, and then obviously the weekend, and then it goes Sunday night is Notre Dame FSU, and then Monday is Louisville Ole Miss. So we're really going to have to pace ourselves is what I'm trying to say. How are you kind of approaching this from a, I don't know, a food and beverage standpoint? Food and beverage standpoint is a good question. I usually kind of make decisions uh, sort of the day before. Uh, you know, some Cheez-Its will be involved, I can tell you that. Um, Cheez-Its, a go-to football snack for me, and one of the best snacks in the United States of America. And you know what? Throw that out the window. One of the best snacks on the planet Earth. Um, beverages, you know, if we're talking alcoholic, there will be some, some, maybe some hard seltzers, some beers involved. Um, you know, there's a lot of whiskey in my cabinet right now that I'm going to need to get rid of. Might throw that on some ice or with some soda water. Uh, I don't know, man. I'm getting excited. I haven't thought all that much about the drinks and the snacks, I just know they're going to be present and and very, very available throughout the entire weekend. So in preparation for all of this, I took off of work to sort of line up with the Labor Day holiday. I took off Thursday, Friday. I got Monday off, and I took off Tuesday. Oh, wow. That wow. way, Whoa. That way hey. I could make the most of all of my college football watching and not worry about, you know, sleep. Well, we're going to have to – to check on you at some point just to make sure everything's going okay. At the, that's right. I mean, I could see the Friday, but the Thursday and the Tuesday, I mean, that's that's next level. Well, normally we'd be taking a summer vacation, um, but didn't have uh, the opportunity to line anything up with the wife, the kids, those kind of things. So it kind of fell on me. I knew I wanted to take a vacation. Those people. And uh, really realized that probably the best vacation for me would be one centered around football. So that's what I did. Uh, treat yourself, <laughs> as it were. No, no, I love it. I love it. Um, I'm contemplating Friday just because I'm, I'm going to be distracted all day, as we know. Um, but, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited. Uh, week zero was upon us. And I got to tell you, uh, week zero made me a little anxious because – 
if you're paying attention to college football, it's year four of the Scott Frost Nebraska thing, and it didn't go so well for him against Illinois. And uh, brutal people are very much calling for his head, and it just made me concerned. Um, not to get the show kicked off on a negative point, but if Friday's game goes south quickly for uh, Justin Fuente, it's really going to feel like much of the same. And we saw kind of what happened uh, in the Twitter sphere with um, with that whole Scott Frost thing. So, yeah, yeah, I don't well, know. I mean, let, let's talk vibes. Brett Bielema here. I mean, have you ever heard that song "Back in the Mud" by Bubba Sparks? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well. It reminded me of Bielema going back to the Big Ten. I mean, he's got to be playing that song on loop. He is just at home in that conference. I mean, he he just can run the he runs the damn football, and really they just, got a lead, and he was just like, you know what, we're just gonna run the football. That's it. That's that's, that's all you need to do in the Big Ten play. to succeed. Really, I mean, yeah, you know, if you can play some somewhat solid defense, um, but take control of the game and line it up and run it harder down the opponent's throat than the other than the opponent's trying to run it down your throat there you got good chances and I thought I was pretty impressed by what he had done with Illinois in their first game and it's obviously hard to say because you've got nothing to base it on right we don't know if Nebraska is a complete train wreck although all signs point to maybe given uh Scott Frost's tenure there but Illinois man what a turnaround what a turnaround. And I, I noticed Arthur Sitkowski got in the game, Rutgers' old quarterback. I had no idea he was playing for Illinois, um, but I noticed yeah. he was QB2 QB there. injury. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that was good to see him. And uh, the flip side of that coin is, golly day, Nebraska, what are you doing at quarterback? How is, how is that your quarterback? And I feel like this is the eighth Martinez they've had starting at quarterback in the past 25 years. Well, it's just the same guy. It is. just doesn't, he just can't leave for whatever reason. So, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, the thing that stood out about that game is the first half, I mean, I thought Nebraska outplayed them, and they were down by a touchdown. They did. And then the second half, they just got smacked right in the mouth. Well, the Bielema just kept kept body blows, man. Body blows after body blows, and eventually that defense wore down. And, um, yeah, Illinois took control, but I think Bielema's going to have some success out there in uh, Champaign. Well, hey, if this is your first time joining, thanks for listening. Um, really appreciate it. If you don't mind, leave us a, uh, a review. Let us know how we're doing. We we uh, we love five stars. Uh, you know, actually, i i like to I like to read through our reviews. And so there was one review recently. This uh, gentleman was kind enough to leave us five stars and um, pointed out some of our audio issues, which uh, leads me to something I'm excited about: is a new microphone. Um, there you so, go. Uh, join the Blue Yeti crew, and um, hopefully I'm sounding a little bit better. But yeah, I've been having some issues with the uh, with the old microphone, so uh, looking for some new consistency. This one is like a uh, a Mark McGuire compared to what Mark McGuire probably looked like in middle school. Yeah. Um, just to kind of give you that. You, you upgraded know. from the Mark Lemke to the Mark McGuire. Oh, love it. Mark Lemke. <laughs> wow, what a guy. What a guy. Huge, just great athlete. Great yeah. athlete. He was. Um, but yeah, no, so that's good. And uh, But yeah, if this is your first time listening, tell your friends, tell uh, tell everyone you can, leave us a review, five stars, four stars, anything lower, just kind of shoot us a note. But let's go ahead and jump into it, Tim. Well, shout out so, to the crew with the slightly negative reviews, but still giving us five stars. That's a trend that I'm okay with. 
Oh yeah, yeah. No, there there was another one we were going to address. So a few episodes ago, um, you know, we were previewing Clemson and their quarterback, and may have likened his name to a uh, musical instrument, instrument, uh, which uh, is a no-no. So, you know, we uh, we apologize for that. We did get a uh, a breakdown of how to say his name, which has been helpful. So I'm going to try to say it, Tim. Is it Ui Ungolale? Ui Ungolale. Ui Ungolale. I got it. Ui Ungolale. That's, I mean, that's what sound, it is. Sounds good. Sounds good to me. Yeah, it does. It does. It rolls off the tongue. You just got to get used to saying. You got to go into it with confidence. Because yeah. if you don't go into it with confidence, you're you're done before you even try. Yeah. So for sure, it's a fun one to say. You just gotta, like I said, approach it confidently. So, um, but yeah, let's jump into it. I mean, it's um, let's start with what to what some of our predictions are for Virginia Tech, or just kind of wrapping up our preview. So we've gone position group by position group with the. Uh, with the Hokies, and you can go back and listen to those episodes. We've got one episode on the offense, one episode on the defense. Uh, we previewed uh, both the Atlantic and the Coastal in separate episodes, and threw in Notre Dame there as well. So uh, those are uh, hopefully good for you to kind of get an overview of each team and kind of what to expect. Um, but let's take a look at um, at what to what to look for 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 the Hokies, Tim. So we've got. Um, First off, fans in the stands is Ooh. what I'm most excited to see, a sellout, uh, specifically baby. at Lane Stadium. Sellout today announced, uh, which was great. Um, I mean, if you think about Virginia Tech historically, I don't remember what the streak had been, but it was something like 15, 16 years in a row of sellouts, and that ended a few years ago, and unfortunately, there's been some sparse crowds in Blacksburg over the last few years, but... This game will not be one of them, um, so I think there's only a couple thousand tickets even available on StubHub, so it should be a full house. I think we'll probably see, you know, some of the corners in the south end zone a little a little light, but I just like to imagine that they're all in the north end zone, kind of packed in there. Uh, the tailgating, I mean, I, I love the Virginia Tech tailgate scene. I want to see those pictures, so so add us on Twitter there. Enter Sandman, obviously the entrance. Uh, North Carolina released a very uh, Metallica-themed image today, so that was a nice little troll job by them, but we'll see who has the last laugh there. Well, I mean, uh, but what, yeah, was just, it a nice troll job? I, I mean, mean, it was clever. Was it? it you, have, you have to know. See, I think it was probably lost on a lot of our younger listeners, or even younger Virginia Tech students. I don't know how prevalent Metallica is uh, in today's world. Um, even though like it's very prevalent for Virginia Tech entrances, I don't know if you'd be able to recognize that from their logo um, as maybe we did or some of the kind no. of the older generation. But you know, Met- I, you know, whatever. Metallica whatever. is very prevalent in the owners of early '90s Camaros community. I can guarantee yeah, you the they're still Camaros, the Firebirds. Out Metallica. The Firebird. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. There's, there's no um, doubt. I don't know. So the the reason I said that is because it just made me kind of roll my eyes. Like it just – it felt like they were trying really hard to be edgy and trolly. And it just I didn't understand the, like, the players oh, man, they chose not, to highlight. It's not that good. It's not that good. I didn't understand the, the guys they chose to highlight. More they just want to be our rival – 
very, very bad, and it's not going to happen. Yeah. Sorry. We won't let it happen, basically. So, obviously, Sights and Sounds of Game Day. The other thing I'm looking for, I want to see some of our stars off the field become stars on the field. So, the Trey Turners and Dax Hollyfields of the world. You know, the Hokies yes. really need these guys to be stars. And they're they're good, solid players. I mean, Trey Turner's six catches away from being the 15th or 16th receiver in Virginia Tech history to have 1,000 catches. You know, Dax yeah. is Dax, right? Um, but really this year, you know, we really need these two guys to step up on each side of the ball. So, um, you know, guys like James Mitchell, he's a star, but I'd really love to see him be more involved in the offense, but that's not so much a James Mitchell issue. That's a, no, that's a scheming issue. That's a package as a scheming issue. That's a coaching staff issue. So, but we, we really good point there. We cannot let James Mitchell, and it's not that he's going to waste but to have a talent like James Mitchell and to not figure out how to lever him properly by this point is disturbing. And I certainly hope in the offseason that was on a whiteboard somewhere with a star next to it and maybe an underline involved yeah. James Mitchell heavily in the passing game. Um, because tight end is where you get your matchups and I, you know, your, your mismatches, rather. And I couldn't imagine, you know, if you're a linebacker, that's the last matchup that you want to take is to have to go one-on-one man coverage on James Mitchell. Um, Combination of speed, hands, athleticism that you rarely see in a tight end. And really this offense just has to figure out how to get the ball in his hands. Yeah, there's no doubt. And you know, with James Mitchell, you know, I was kind of thinking back to when we were in school, Tim, and we had guys like Eddie Royal and Josh Morgan and guys like that, that ended up having, pretty lengthy NFL careers. But if you look back on their college career, you know, it's not like their numbers jumped off the page on you. And oh, again, no. it's it, it wasn't their talent. Like Eddie Royal ended up making an all ACC team, but it was as a punt returner. So, you know, you you think about those guys and the offense that they were in, it was really it was all scheme. And I don't know if we have any receivers that are gonna play a lot this year that are NFL caliber. Um, you know, they may get a look, but to have a nine-year career in the NFL like an Eddie Royal, you know, it, it's a little bit more of a stretch for me. James Mitchell, uh, sure, I think he definitely could, but I don't want to look back and say, wow, James Mitchell is this, you know, really solid NFL tight end, and, you know, the most catches he ever had at Virginia Tech was 27 in a season. So, I, I mean, I think we could do that, and if we do, it is what it is. I mean, Really, at the end of the day, I just want to see this offense succeed and and be solid. But um, yeah, it just kind of like I just linked it back to when we were in college, and and those guys really kind of jumped off the page at me because you know when I was a student, I I wouldn't have expected Eddie Roy to have a nine year NFL career, but he did. Right, and I think a lot of that was uh, you know led to a lot of fan frustration. Because I think that the talent on Eddie Royal's part was never in question. I mean, his his talent was eye popping at times. Uh, <laughs> I'm laughing because offensive scheme has never really been a strong suit for us, um, and it was just you know even then. Obviously, if you were a fan of the Hokies at the time, you know how frustrated Hokies could be with their offensive coordinator, and a lot of that was built around an offense that was a run first offense 
um, you know, for the vast majority of Frank Beamer's time and, you know, maybe hitting the big playoff play action, those kind of things. Um, but th- there were frustrations in getting balls into wide receivers' hands and, you know, effectively getting them in space to operate. And Eddie Royal's a good example of that. Um, a talent like that, you would have expected much better numbers offensively from a guy like that, but it didn't happen. And we're seeing sort of the same thing happen with, with James Mitchell, where you know the talent is there. That's not in question. But scheming the passing game has been just a a crippling issue uh, for Virginia Tech in the last, I don't know, four years, five years. Um, you know, I mean, since we had, uh, you know, Isaiah Ford, Bucky Hodges, that, that first kind of crop of wide receivers that was a holdover from the Frank Beamer era really did well. And I, I don't know. I think this speaks to a couple of things. I think it speaks to scheming. Um, I think we've had issues with wide receiver coaching. Um, and, and more importantly than anything else, I think it speaks to uh, quarterback development and maybe lack thereof. And hopefully a lot of those things can get addressed and, and start getting fixed. So the other thing I'm looking for is how did COVID, injuries, etc., really affect this team last year? We have a lot of guys returning. We have a lot of guys that aren't returning. But if you think about it, think back to the beginning of last year. Braxton Burmeister got COVID kind of right before the season. He lost 12 pounds. Never got the weight back. He played around 185, 190 pounds last year. This year he's coming into the season, he weighs 215. He had a full off season with first team reps. We should, in turn, expect improvement for a multitude of reasons. One, you know, we don't suspect that he's going to, you know, lose 12 pounds with COVID right before the year again. Jermaine Waller, Caleb Farley, considered the best quarterback tandem in the country for 2020. They barely played. Farley didn't play. He opted out. And then Jermaine Waller played in two to three games because of injuries. Then you had Devin Hunter, who was your other starting safety, was suspended. and He didn't play. So you lost three starters out of your secondary basically for the duration of the season. You had your Mike linebacker, Rayshard Ashby, show up. You know, and I love Rayshard, but and I'm not putting this on him. You know, everybody's situation is different with COVID and the, um, you know, quarantining and things like that. He put on 20-plus pounds. He was 20 pounds overweight, I should say. Um, And you can just kind of go on and on and on down the list. And so it wasn't just lack of practice, lack of development. It was a whole multitude of things. And really it was a bunch of personnel that either was out of shape, unhealthy, opted out, couldn't play, that really set this defense back. And I don't think anybody, and really the entire team, and I don't think anybody is really making an excuse for COVID and the performance, but it did affect more than just the coaches. Um, It affected the player and the type of player that we're seeing on the field. And if you think about a program like Virginia Tech, it's not a program that is going to recruit at a top 15, 20 level traditionally. Obviously, we know about some of the challenges they've had um, over the last couple of years on the recruiting trail. But when that happens, practice time development is key to the success of a football team. And again, last year it was just very sporadic and it didn't happen. So this offseason, completely different scenario. Expectations for performance should be much higher. 
and we should see a much better product on the field given kind of everything that I just outlined there. And that's just my third and final thing to watch for is, are we going to see a, a much different football team on the field this year, maybe in week one, that probably would have closer met our expectations for 2020? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, Virginia Tech was hard hit with the COVID bug, especially when it comes to the timing of all of the issues. They were really at critical times for install and, uh, you know, off-season to get the, the team right from a learning and, and you know, um, growth aspect. They lost a lot of time they needed. I mean, if you look at it on an individual level, obviously Braxton couldn't have had COVID at a worse time uh, for a guy that wanted to come in here and, and had really lofty goals. But, you know, if you talk about what I'm looking for, too, is the same thing. But I think it's interesting because I'm looking on the defensive side of the ball, scheming as a whole, and how that, that side of the ball is going to perform as a unit because they also had a huge, huge offseason for installing a new defense, uh, working with a new defensive coordinator, and then to have all this happen in such a backwards manner uh, because of COVID led to issues that were readily apparent watching the Hokies on defense last year. That defense just looked lost 75% of the time. Um, And so I'm going into this game, big test up against UNC, an offense that obviously comes in with a lot of uh, a lot of hype with a Heisman Trophy, uh, you know, candidate, obviously at quarterback and Sam Howell. We're going to see pretty quick how this this defense stacks up and we're going to see pretty quick whether or not they're going to leave off where they did last year or whether or not there's going to be strides made in that room. And I, I certainly think there will be plenty of strides made, but it's one of those areas that's going to be so critical to the team success in the season. Um, the good news is we're going to get answers pretty quick. Yeah, there's no doubt. So some of the biggest question marks for me heading into the season, Tim, offensive identity. You know, does this offense live and die with the quarterback? Is it going to be a run-heavy quarterback option run-heavy, or is it going to be more reliance on the backs? Are we going to see more involvement um, out of the receiving core? The other question I have is, you know, are we going to have better than a fighter's chance on defense? You know, how improved is this defense going to be? Um, and those are really kind of my two biggest question marks outside of things like health and, you know, durability and depth and things like that. I mean, those are really kind of the underlying uh, theme, and I think it'll probably rear its head in week one um, from a depth standpoint. But, Anything really kind of standing out to you? I know we've kind of hit on uh, both of these in previous episodes, so I don't want to dwell on them, but um, anything uh, from your standpoint that, you know, would be your biggest question mark for the year? Yeah, it's Braxton Burmeister. I am so intent on seeing how he's developed as a passer. You know, I think that's one of those things that was so important for him. That That's the element of his game that has been missing. Obviously, we know what he can do with his feet, Um, But in order for this offense to have success, he's going to have to be a successful passer. And I think balance is so key to this offense. Uh, For whatever reason, we still can't establish an offensive identity. But that identity seemed to change from week to week. You know, we want to be a run. You know, we want to share the ball with our running backs. We want to get them involved. But we've got the quarterback taking 20 carries a game, it seems like, sometimes. And then it seems other times we'll have a quarterback throw the ball 40 times a game. And it just, there's no idea when you watch Virginia Tech, and this is akin to what you're saying, there's, we have no clue what Virginia Tech's trying to do on a week to week basis offensively. And that's got to change. 
consistency is everything in college football. Identity is everything in college football. And if you can't do one thing well, you're not going to succeed. So in order to do one thing well, you got to have balance. And balance to me is key here. And the only way we're getting balance on the passing attack side is by having Braxton take another step as a passer. And we haven't seen that in a game setting yet. I mean, if you look outside of one or two games, right? The Virginia game, he looked real good. It looked like he was making really good progress. So that gives you hope. But we haven't seen it for a consistent four-game, five-game stretch to where you can feel comfortable going into the season saying, okay, he's got this. Mm -hmm. But coming into the beginning, coming into the first game, if you see the Braxton Burmeister that we saw at the end of the season last year in that Virginia game, and you can see him comfortable going through multiple reads, not getting happy feet, which is always going to be the problem with a guy like Braxton who can run so well is they're going to be tempted to tuck it and run at the slightest sense of pressure. And that doesn't lead to good things in college football. But if you see a guy dropping back, making multiple reads, hitting his checkdowns, making passes in tight windows, that's what we're going to need from Braxton if we want to meet our expectations this year. I'm not talking about internal expectations, whatever those may be. I'm talking about what we have expectations-wise as far as Hokie fans go on a whole. And two things have to happen. One of those things is we've got to get, we've got to see the passer in Braxton Burmeister. That has to be there if we're going to have the success that we want to have. And so, again, you step up to a good test, good defensive backs on UNC side of the ball. But I want to see that identity. I want to see us really, really, really effectively pass. And that's all that, the whole season almost hinges on that. So that's that's what I'm going in hoping to see or looking for as soon as this game kicks off is how comfortable does Braxton Burmeister look passing the football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and part of the reason that you know we saw less consistency from him and really kind of any quarterback we had on the field last year was because we just didn't consistently have the same guy back there or we had guys kind of in and out of drive. So, I you know, it's, it's difficult when you have two guys leave um, – the program at a what was one of your deeper positions on the on the team last year and you know Quincy's gone on and he uh, went to North Dakota State and he earned the starting job you look at a guy like Kenan Hooker he bolts for Tennessee and sitting on the bench and so it's like you know I don't know what it is about Kenan Hooker I mean you know the eye test tells you he should have beaten out Joe Milton for the quarterback job in Tennessee but it feels like it's a similar situation to this staff and how they handled Hinton Hooker coming into the last two seasons where they just didn't feel comfortable giving him the reins for whatever reason. So I don't know if it's a... I mean, to me, it seems like there's some kind of Hinton Hooker issue there with preparation and, you know, maybe it, it just kind of reared its ugly head here in Blacksburg and you just couldn't handle it anymore. But at the same point, it's like... You know, you're in the same exact situation that you could have had here, whether you won or lost the job or not. So, true. Just kind of interesting to kind of see that play out. I don't want to lump it all on his shoulders either. Um, although I, I totally agree with you, he has no business losing out to Joe Milton, but he did. Um, that's how the chips fell in this case. One of the biggest issues with the coaching staff that I've taken on the show is our lack of quarterback development. So you've got a guy here that's been in the program for two years prior to this year three years even maybe, Braxton Burmeister, because he had that transfer year as well. Um, 
we need to start seeing development of quarterbacks happening, especially mm-hmm. with the resume that Justin Fuente has. And I don't think he called himself a quarterback whisperer. I pray he didn't. But that is sort of the, the kind of term that you, you had kind of attached to him when he came here. But if you look at the body of work and the development of quarterbacks, there's been none. Um, almost a regression in a lot of cases when you look at the quarterbacks, where they started and where they finished. So you've got the perfect case, the perfect chance to hang your hat on the development of a quarterback here in Braxton Burmeister. And I'm hoping that we see that development take place. Because if, if you can't develop a quarterback in college football, what are you even doing? You, you can't sustain success if you can't develop a quarterback at this level. So who, Tim, for you, is your breakout candidate on offense this year? So it's weird because I, I thought about this when you kind of told me what we were going to be talking about, and it feels weird to say James Mitchell is my breakout candidate um, given that he's had success. But the reason right. he's my breakout candidate is I don't even think we're touching, scratching the surface in regards to potential on James Mitchell. I, I truly hope that in the offseason there was some serious work done on scheming the tight end, the involvement in the passing game, whether that be moving him around the field, even though we already do a fair bit of that, or just getting the routes, the right routes, the right reads to the quarterback to make James Mitchell a prominent uh, point of, of emphasis in this offense. And if it's done correctly, I mean, you want to talk about a breakout I think we could see James Mitchell have an absolutely monster year if everything goes right from the scheming standpoint and if Braxton takes that next step as a passer. And I've got, I've got confidence. I, flashes were shown to me last year from Braxton that tell me there's a quarterback there. So if he can scratch that, if he can dig deep and find and become that quarterback that obviously the staff thinks they have, then I think the main beneficiary of that is going to be James Mitchell. So he's my breakout candidate. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a few candidates for me, right? So you've got Jaden Payute, you've got Love Dwayne him. Lofton, who seems to be kind of a trendy pick right now. Um, you know, you've got some some other guys there. The guy for me is Tave, or uh, not Tavion, but Raheem Blackshear. Not Tavion Robinson would have been a good pick too. Yeah, I mean, he is, but I think either way, like solid year for him like it it would take a lot for him to have like a breakout year in my opinion the guy that I think is going to have more opportunities is Raheem Blackshear um you know one you you just kind of look at his career at Rutgers and I mean he he had a pretty solid career there um he's rushed for over 1100 yards in his career eight touchdowns you know his highest you know, massing yards total was 586 yards in 2018, um, where he also had 44 catches for 367. So I think this guy, he'll be more involved in the offense. I think he'll have a few more chances than he did last year after, um, you know, Khalil Herbert just kind of stole everybody's thunder and was just one of the best players in the entire country. Um, So that's a guy who, you know, I hope uh, really kind of takes the step up and, um, gets a full offseason under his belt and can really come in and, and show what he can do. And I think um, we're going to need guys like that to be difference makers. I mean, even like Kashawn King, if we can get some consistent play out of him on offense or at least give him, I don't know, five to eight carries a game and you know be able to be one of those kind of game-breaker type potential candidates, you know, I think that would bring a lot uh to this offense but I think it's really going to depend on what kind of offense we're running 
what it looks like. Um, but I, I suspect, Tim, that Raheem will be more of a uh, a difference maker um, at the receiver position, um, less so at the running back position. But we'll we'll see kind of what happens there. Yeah, I mean, I like him kind of in that Curtis Samuel type role that the Panthers used, uh, obviously Curtis yeah. Samuel in last year, where you'd see him take maybe five to ten carries a game. Um, you know, out of the backfield. And, you know, a guy like Curtis Samuel with his athleticism did really well when he got those carries. But Curtis Samuel did most of his work outside um, or in the slot. And he seems like one of those guys you can just plug in anywhere. And that sort of flexibility really, really, really needs to shine. And and you can take advantage of that, um, you know, getting him out there. He's a guy that I want to see getting 10 carries a game, but I also hope he's on the field for a majority of the offensive snaps um, just because you can stick him basically everywhere. And really, the, the key with him is we just need to get the ball in his hands in space. Um, a, a guy like Blackshear would be an absolute weapon uh, to have, you know, on a consistent basis. We just couldn't find that consistency with him last year. Um, but I, I agree. I like that breakout candidate. You know, I, I think you can get real creative with him. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that can certainly make an impact and, and be dynamic, which, uh, you know, at times this offense, you know, truly needs a guy that can make people miss in space and move the sticks on third down will go a long way. How about defense for you? Who do you got? Oh man. So I don't, the, the, the breakout candidate I wanted to pick obviously was Barno. Um, I don't think we can pick him as a breakout candidate after the season he had last year and all of the hype that kind of surrounds him this year. He's one of those guys that I think is, is past his breakout stage. Um, but you know, one guy you mentioned in the beginning of the podcast is uh, Devin Hunter, and I, I don't know if this is just me wanting it so bad that I want to will it to happen, but when you talk about a guy that's had just a strange path to get where he is now, coming from being one of the, the top-rated recruits to commit in the Fuente era, if not the top-rated recruit um, that's actually stepped on the football field uh, for Virginia Tech, but all the off-the-field stuff, all of the, uh, you know, being buried in the depth chart in, in his first couple of years here. I just want it for him so bad. But with the starting job being his right now, that athletic ability, I think this is a prime breakout candidate for that defense. And, you know, having a playmaker with that athleticism on that side of the ball, just making plays in the backfield, you know, really coming up in the pass rush when he's able to get blitzes called his way, um, tackles for loss. I think all those things are, are where he could excel. And, you know, basically, given the fact that he hasn't been on the field a lot and that he hasn't had that starting role to himself ever to this point, uh, can only bode well for a breakout candidate there. So Devin Hunter's my choice. Yeah, I mean, that's a good pick. I mean, he, he was on my short list. Uh, the thing that bothers me about Devin Hunter is you hear about Devin Hunter a lot. You hear about how great of a guy he is off the field, which is why the incident last year uh, was so kind of shocking. But the reviews of Devin Hunter on the field, you never get any kind of ecstatic, over-the-top, like, I can't wait to see what this guy can do. It's always kind of a, yeah, we're looking to see if he can kind of get there mentally. And he's he's always one of the... He, I mean, he's on my list for... You know, Virginia Tech struggles if Devin yeah. Hunter doesn't perform at a high level because it is a important position that he's playing. Um, 
you know, it's not like super experience behind him there. So um, it, 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 I feel like it is pivotal uh, for uh, Virginia Tech to get a, a good Devin Hunter this year. Um, and I, you know, like you said, like I, I hope it comes together for him, but it, it is one position in the secondary that I'm more concerned about than any other. Right. Um, but I'll, I'll stick with you in the breakout candidate for that position group. Mine's, mine's, uh, Keonta Jenkins. Yeah. Good and pick. he looked really good last year in two to three games. Then he got hit with COVID never really recovered. So due to the added year of eligibility, he's still considered a true freshman. And I mean, he's one of the better true freshman safeties you're going to find in the ACC, in my opinion. So, um, really looking forward to Keonta Jenkins. I love his size. He really kind of reminds me of a young Cam Chancellor. Um, and I think he's got a, a chance just to be an absolute staple in one of the next kind of carriers of the DBU torch in Blacksburg. Some of the other guys that I had on my list, Tim, uh, Tawan Garbett, you know, he's been getting a lot of hype. Uh, you know, he's small for a defensive end. He doesn't fit that prototypical defensive end that Justin Hamilton's trying to recruit, but you know, you, you know what they say, Tim, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. That's and, right. Uh, it sounds like Tawan Garbett might have a lot of fight in him. Dean Ferguson, he's another guy who uh, he's been getting a lot of a lot of hype. Looking forward to seeing what he can do at linebacker there. Uh, Dorian Strong and Armani Chapman, it sounds like they have a really good competition for that second uh, cornerback spot. Um, and if you saw the depth chart that came out today, there was really no major surprises on the depth chart. It's no. basically everything that we've highlighted. Um, but that position seems to still be kind of up in the air. And Fuente has been very high on Chapman, said it's the best camp he's ever had. Um, and, I mean, the fact that he's pushing Strong, who's Strong had a very good uh, year last year, also still a true freshman uh, with the extra year of eligibility. So either way, I think we're going to get a lot of good play there um, at cornerback across the board. So looking forward to those. But, Tim, to, to kind of close out um, our projections for Virginia Tech, what are some of the – or what's your, what's your top reason for Virginia Tech struggles if this year? And – put it in the context of the course of the season not just one week yeah um there are two bits of low-hanging fruit here i think virginia tech struggles if braxton burmeister has a completion percentage lower than 60 percent um which isn't a high bar but it's one he struggled with his entire career um, ideally you'd like to see him in that 62 to 65 percentage completion kind of range, but Virginia tech will struggle mightily if the quarterback is not efficient. And I think when it comes to Braxton based on his body of work, that's my biggest worry going into the season is that his inefficiency translates into this year. And you're hoping the development, the time in the program, and, and it, let's not act like he's been thrown in the, the best positions possible throughout his career. At Oregon, he played well before he was ready due to injury. Last year, he played when he probably shouldn't have been playing uh, due to a lot of things he can't control in regards to COVID. But at some point, the efficiency has to be there to have sustained success in the offense. And, you know, when you look at a career completion percentage south of, of 60%, that's not where you want to be at a power five starting quarterback. So I think Virginia Tech will struggle 
if Braxton Burmeister's completion percentage is below 60%. Um, you know, that's on the offensive side of the ball. I think I have to go with another on the defensive side of the ball. Virginia Tech will struggle if the defense is hit hard by injuries. And that just speaks to our lack of depth. That's the one thing I noticed when looking at the depth chart today was it really illustrated the fact that we are thin, 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 thin on defense. And this is not a defense that can sustain any sort of long-term injuries for three or four crucial players. Uh, You know, if you see something like that happening, I think Virginia Tech will struggle as a result of that just because that that's going to be too large of a hill to climb, in my opinion. Now, I think the unit as a whole can be successful, but a lot of that is obviously going to be relying on health. So I'll give you those two things on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I mean, on defense, I had the same thing, uh, specifically at the defensive line and linebacker depth. Right. Um, you know, if that's tested, you know, we've only got four scholarship players at defensive tackle. Um, and I think there's going to be some games, like week one, where – you know, guys aren't always in game shape in week one. So depth rears its head uh, early in the season. So that's something to watch for uh, this week against North Carolina specifically is how is that uh, rotation group handled there? Um, really just kind of defensive line as a whole has been thin from a uh, from a depth standpoint, guys that are ready to go. Um, so yeah, I think that's something that's going to linger into the season. Um, and then the other one, I had a a Braxton Burmeister one as well. Um, and not so much on completion percentage, but availability. So the best ability is availability and Braxton Burmeister's availability this year is the key to Virginia Tech's offensive success because if he's not on the field, Virginia Tech is going to struggle on offense because they're just not going to have a guy back there who is capable enough, at least at least that's perception, right, heading into the season, to make defenses kind of respect the quarterback. Um, right. You and know, I it, think it's funny you worry about QB1. Who's your QB1 in this case? There's a worry for me that we don't have really an entrenched QB2. Um, yeah. And that's concerning. So I, I totally agree with you on that point. And, and that's one of those things that really depth as a whole is kind of a theme for this entire program right now. Um, but yeah, you, you hit it right on the head there. Um, and, and that's QB2 is one of the most important positions on a football team. Uh, whether or not you see them throughout the entire season is one thing. But having sort of a, a safety net to fall back on if you know you do end up with an injury and in a system that is historically let its quarterback take take a lot of shots and a lot of beating in the run game it's uh it's a precarious position to be in how about on the success trail virginia tech succeeds if one on offense one on defense well i mean this is this is easy for me if we're going to go on defense i'm going to just take the flip side of the coin i know that's a that's a you know a cop out but it's the truth the most important thing to that defense is health if the defense can stay healthy um, I, I think Virginia Tech has a real good shot of succeeding and meeting expectations this year because I do, I do think we're talented. Uh, there's talent on this team, but there's not depth. So staying healthy throughout the year is going to be so, so, so important, um, you know, in order to, to see us be where we all want to be. And more than anything on defense, especially you mentioned up on the front in the in the linebacking core, that's, that's of the utmost importance. Um, on offense, 
I think Virginia Tech succeeds if they establish an offensive identity. And this is something we've been wanting for years and years and years. We go week to week seemingly with a different idea of how we want to attack. Or if you go to last year, we have no idea of how we want to attack. And we just say, okay, quarterback, uh, do your thing. Carry the ball 20 times a game and try to be efficient. And that's just not a recipe for success. So I'm hopeful we'll be able to establish an offensive identity. And, you know, if it was me, if I was Justin Puente um, and designing that offense, I think my identity would try to maintain balance between the run and the pass. Because I, I think this isn't a team that can really lean too heavily on one side. We're not a team that can be one-dimensional uh, with the way we're set up now. But I think there is a good shout for this team if they can maintain their balance and come out every game and strive to hit that through their game planning and their scheming. Um, balance is going to be the key for this team. And whether it be balance, whatever we decide to make our identity this year, However, we decide that we want to attack on a week-in and week-out basis. Um, establishing that identity and making it known so that everybody on that offense knows how they're going to be winning football games on a week-to-week basis is going to be crucial. And it's something that I hate to be harping on after harping on it for four years, but we're just, we still haven't seen it yet. I don't know what this offense is. I, I really don't. I, I still do not know what this offense is, and I don't know how that's possible seeing as we're sitting here so deep into Fuente's tenure. Um, if we are able to establish that identity, uh, that would go a long, long way in offensive consistency, and, and hopefully we're able to get there. And I think we'll have success if we're able to do it. See, Tim, that's why I let you go first, because I knew we were going to have the uh, same two, uh, but I did extra credit. So uh, I've got some other things to add in here. I had the offensive identity. You know, I think the thing that stood out to me the most is if you look at uh, our receiving core last year, Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson were the only two receivers to have more than double-digit catches. You know, so you you want to see a better utilization of that group overall. Um, that doesn't account James Mitchell. You know, James Mitchell had 26 catches. Raheem Blackshear was fourth on the team with 18. But you only had two receivers that had more than eight catches the entire season, which is not good. You know, that's, so you, that's you hard see to believe hard. It is. It is. I had to go and look it up to double check uh, the statistic, but it checked out. The thing that I'm looking for on offense, Tim is, are we going to have that game breaker type of player that I kind yeah. of alluded to previously? Is that going to show up on the field? And last year we did have it. It was Khalil Herbert. I mean, there was, Multiple times a game it felt like where he'd break off a 50-yard run or make a huge play or, you know, pick up a 10-yard gain, but he broke like three tackles to do it. Right. Who, who is that player going to be this year? Is it going to be Kashawn King? Is it going to be a Dwayne Lofton? Is it going to be a Jaden Payute if he can get that hamstring figured out? So we need to know. We it, It's always better offensively when you've got these guys who can take the top off a of defense and keep the defense honest and chunk yardage is so important in in today's college football my question is will these guys have enough opportunities consistently to be able to do that because it's unrealistic to think you know you get three to four touches a game and you know you're going to have a play that goes for 25 plus yards you know these guys are going to have to be mixed in they're going to have to be used in certain sets as you know decoys if you will but 
they need to be out there. They need to be getting snaps. They need to be playing. So that's what I'm kind of looking for on the offensive side in addition to that identity. The other thing I'm looking for, Tim, going to the strength of the defense here, DBU returns. And, I mean, we had a little year off last year, you know, for <laughs> – a little bit. Part of what I mentioned last, you know, earlier in the show, with basically losing three of your starters uh, for the entire season. But the back end is really the strength of this Virginia Tech defense. You know, you've got Jermaine Waller, who in 2019 was one of the best cornerbacks in the country. Uh, you've got Dorian Strong, who had a fantastic true freshman campaign last year. Looks to have another true freshman uh, campaign this year. Uh, you've got Armani Chapman who's pushing. you got Breon Murray back there. And then in the middle, you've got Keonta Jenkins, who still a little bit raw, but from all accounts is set to have a pretty big season. And then you've got your, your experienced anchor back there, Devin Hunter. And we just need to see if he can play consistently enough for you know an entire football season. So that's really kind of what I'm looking at for the defense. I think um, they're going to have to be really good for Virginia Tech to compete with teams like North Carolina or Miami. Traditionally, I'd say Notre Dame, since Notre Dame's on the schedule this year, but with a guy like Jack Cohn at quarterback, I think the biggest issue in that game is going to be stopping the run. That's right. Uh, But UNC and Miami are the two um, this year. And, you know, even teams like Boston College with uh, Phil Jakovic, We'll throw Kenny Pickett in there because uh, they're going to throw it 45 times a game. The defensive back group is going to be either the savior. I don't think it'll be the downfall. You know, I don't think even if we see them give up more passing yards than they should be giving up, it's more likely going to be because of other issues um, on this defense. But I think if this uh, this secondary can hold, it's really going to take a lot of the pressure off the rest of the D and give Virginia Tech a chance to win, you know, the majority of the games that they're in. So we'll just have to see kind of what happens there. Let's jump over to the schedule predictions, Tim, and then we'll get into North Carolina. So this will be a nice little good segue here. I can't understand. I can't understate how critically important it is for Virginia Tech to get off to a fast start this season. Same example I used with Scott Frost. I mean, the sky is falling in Omaha right now. And obviously a win against North Carolina is would qualify as a fast start, but even if they slip up, it doesn't mean that a fast start isn't possible. You know, Fuente has to at the very least either beat UNC or and or beat West Virginia and the rest of their lackluster September matchups heading into that Notre Dame game. They can lose two. Uh, that wouldn't qualify as a fast start. But, you know, if they went undefeated the rest of the way, then, you know, it is it is what it is. It's nothing to really get excited about. Um, at the end of the day, Puente can't have any embarrassing losses this year. Um, specifically out of conference. Got to win the majority of the ACC games. You know, a, a above 500 record is, is important, I feel like. Um, and then you probably look at Fuente coming back. And even if it's a 7-5 and record, depending on who those seven wins came against, that's kind of a toss-up. Anything more than seven wins, I think he's your head coach in 2022 and beyond. Um, but if we look at Fuente historically versus top 25 opponents, 5-12, and 1-6 at home. North Carolina's number 10 in the country right now, just FYI. 
uh, 0-4 in 2020. And Virginia Tech at home, versus ranked teams since 2011, has one win and 11 losses. Ooh. Which is just a knife in the chest. That's tough. And in Fuente's initial five seasons in Blacksburg, Fuente has a 12-3 and combined record against ACC Coastal Division rivals in Virginia, North Carolina, and Duke. 4-1 and against each of those teams. So that's the positive. Uh, the negative, Stuart Mandel, as you know, was very popular to pick on uh, at the start of last season, predicting the Hokies would win four games. He was one game off. Is picking the Hokies to finish fourth in the Coastal at 6-6. Six and six. He picked Miami to win it with UNC in second, UVA in third. Also designated Justin Fuente as a close runner-up to Dino Babers to get, his, to get fired in his coach most likely to get fired prediction. So that's just to kind of give you a perspective of what the uh, national uh, media perception is right now of what's happening in Blacksburg. So the way that I kind of picked this out, Tim, is I kind of looked at what was the ESPN uh, FPI matchup predictor saying. So Virginia Tech has three games where they have less than a 50% chance of winning. UNC, Notre Dame, and Miami. They're given about a 44.8% chance to beat UNC, almost a 40% chance to beat Notre Dame, only a 22% chance to beat Miami, which is a road game. The vast majority of their schedule, they've got greater than a 50% chance to win. There's four games that I deem must-wins where they have a 87.7% chance or higher. So that's Duke, Syracuse a 91.7%, Richmond a 98.4%, and Middle Tennessee State 92.2%. So with that being said, Tim, you've got West Virginia, Pitt, Georgia Tech, BC, and UVA. That ESPN is essentially saying 50-50 shot. You know, those games range between 54.6% to 62.9% chance of winning, depending on the opponent. So for you, Tim, without giving away who you're picking for the UNC game, because we're going to do that at the end, what is your schedule prediction or record prediction for Virginia Tech this year? Um, You know, I'm still standing firm on what we talked about uh, on an earlier podcast at seven and five. Uh, (coughs) So give me uh, I should I should have clarified better. Give me the seven wins. So we're going to track it. Seven wins. Just looking at the schedule here are going to be Middle Tennessee, Richmond, Syracuse, Georgia Tech. I should probably be counting these, right? Let's I've got see. it. You got it? That's How four. many am I up to? That's four, right? Yep. BC, Duke, and Virginia. All right. Um, I've got most of those. Um, you know, the games that I have them losing for sure right now are Notre Dame. Um, even though I, you know, I say for sure, it's just a game that I have them losing. I think they can beat any team on their schedule. They're not going to go undefeated. Let, let me make that very clear. But I think they can beat every single team on their schedule. It's Virginia Tech that 
they have these losses to where you're like, how are you losing to that football team after you beat Notre Dame? Of course. To Georgia Tech. And, and let's just know? be completely open here. 100% agree. That right. I wouldn't be shocked to see us beat any of the teams listed on the schedule. But the level of consistency just hasn't been there to where I can expect a good performance followed by another good performance followed by another good performance. Inevitably, there are going to be a, a, a major uh, swings of ups and downs throughout the season, in my mind. Um, that's just kind of the one thing that we know that we do well with with Fuente at the helm here is be shockingly inconsistent. And especially when it comes to losing games that you're supposed to win. Yeah. So I'm going to say Virginia Tech goes 8-4. and four. Okay. Um, the I'm, losses I'm you have I have a West them. Virginia maybe win that swings that in your favor? So the losses I have are Notre Dame, Miami, yep. Boston College on the road. I think Boston College is going to be pretty solid this year. Yeah, so I don't I mean, think that's a bad loss. That's not a bad. No, that 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 I could see. Boston College was a toss-up for me. And then uh, West Virginia is the game I have them losing. Okay, so you do have them losing that as well. Yeah. Okay. And it's it's really between, you know, I'm kind of showing my hand here. It's really between, I, I don't think they're going to beat UNC and West Virginia. So I'm saying they're going to win one, they're going to lose one. You know, on paper... I don't think West Virginia is very good, but it's kind of an early road test. Uh, and, and it's a rivalry game, so you kind of throw some of that game. out the window. We have no idea what this team is going to look like um, until Friday when we get our first glimpse at them. So that's kind of where I'm sitting. So it was to really get it to 8-4. and four. I wasn't going to say they were going to beat both of those teams and go 9-3. and three, Yep. Because um, that is... I don't see this team having nine wins. So it was more about, I see them as an eight-win football team. Um, there's three games, or, you know, two games for sure that they're going to lose, and I think they'll probably have two to three other losses in there. So I really see that seven to eight kind of wins as uh, the sweet spot for them, but I'm going to go with the more optimistic eight, um, which Fuente has done in three of his uh, five seasons. Um He's just had two seasons with losing records. So I think that is a good segue, Tim, into our UNC versus Virginia Tech preview now that we're an hour into the show. Um, good news is Fuente's never lost a season opener as the Virginia Tech head coach. That is and a under good Fuente, sign. They're 33-4 and four when leading at halftime, and they've won five straight when leading at halftime. So that's a positive. Uh, they're 2-0 against UNC at home under Fuente, including that six-overtime thriller in 2019. Uh, last year, obviously, lost the game in Chapel Hill, 56-45 uh, shootout. Saw the Hokies try to make a late run, too little too late. They got down 21-0 in that game, kind of right off the bat. UNC went 3-for-3 three three on their first three drives for touchdowns. Um, you know, Sam Howell had a big day, 17-23, 257, three scores. Burmeister did play. He had 79 passing yards, 51 on the ground. Really, the story of that game was uh, Virginia Tech unable to stop uh, Javante Williams and Michael Carter. 413 yards on 43 carries. A 9.3 yard per carry average. Just take a deep breath there, because that was hard to get out. So, what value do you put into last year's game? And for me, 
I don't put a whole lot into it. I mean, we already know Sam Howell's a threat. Zero, if that's possible. Yeah, less than zero. I mean, if you take and, – and really, I kind of take 2020. Although I remember 2020, I'm not saying we should throw 2020 out, but I don't want to look at 2020 and try to compare it to how I think this year's team is going to perform right. because I think the circumstances around the two seasons are so drastically different. So we lived through the 2020 season. We saw it. It happened. It doesn't really tell us a whole lot about what we should expect this year. Um, so what to watch for, Tim? The big thing for me is how ready to go is this new-look Carolina offense going to be? So you've got no Javante Williams, no Michael Carter, no Dimey Brown, no Daz Newsom. Okay, that is a lot of new faces in what isn't their easiest matchup in the first week of the season. So if you look at Javante Williams and Michael Carter, those two guys combined for over twenty-two hundred yards rushing last year. You know, Michael Carter had seven point three yards per carry, and he was second on the team. Yeah. You know, Javante Williams had eight yards per carry. So. The amount of production, I feel like I, I feel like the whole rhetoric with North Carolina right now is they've recruited really well, and they're going to be able to replace all of these playmakers. They're not just replacing playmakers. The four guys that I mentioned, they're all in the NFL. Okay? Very talented players. So you don't just replace that. They brought in a guy in Ty Chandler. Former four-star, highly touted. But he is what he is at this point in his career. You know, he's rushed for over 2,000 yards over four seasons, 13 touchdowns. You know, he's never had more than 655 yards in a season. His career high in receptions was 19. Michael Carter and Javante Williams each caught 25 balls last year. So if you look behind Ty Chandler, you've got a three-star freshman in Caleb Hood, and then you've got DJ Jones, who has 11 carries for 65 yards and a touchdown to his name in his entire career, also a former three-star. Then if you go over to receiver, you know, North Carolina released their their depth chart today, so it looks like Emory Simmons is going to be one of the guys on the outside. Last year, 15 catches for 201 and a touchdown, only 19 total catches in his career, a former three-star. A senior, Antoine Green, former four-star, four catches, 78 yards last year. Eight catches is the most he's ever had in an entire season. Okay, If we look at the slot, you've got Josh Downs, who's getting all kinds of hype. He had seven catches for 119 and three touchdowns last year. His big performance was in the Orange Bowl against A&M, where he had four catches for 91 yards and two touchdowns. But right. still very very inexperienced. And then the other guy to kind of consider there is uh, um, Coffrey Brown, who, you know, he's listed in the 2D. He's been battling an injury. It sounds like he's going to play. He is the, you know, take the top off the defense kind of player, brother of Diami Brown. He had 15 catches last year for 335, over 22 yards per catch. But 
he's had some issues with consistency. Um, he's not a reliable receiver. And so I, I went through that, Tim, and got really specific with uh, recruiting because we keep hearing about how much talent uh, North Carolina is bringing in, and I don't disagree. But the recruiting stars and the rankings and some of what I kind of read off the page to you, nothing really kind of jumps out to you outside of Josh Downs. Right. Um, so really to me, with what they're replacing on the field – like we're giving we're giving them a little too much credit and we're not giving the guys that they're replacing enough credit for what they did over the course of their career. And I mean, I cannot understate enough how big of a loss and how different this UNC offense is going to look because it is going to be firmly on the back of Sam Howell. And if you're really going to want to get after Sam Howell and you're really going to want to slow this Carolina defense down, you're going to have to blitz the hell out of them because Ty Chandler was not considered to be a good pass blocker when he was in Knoxville. Caleb Hood, fairly new to the running back position. What does that mean? Probably not going to do well in, in pass down situations. DJ Jones, you know, kind of a mixed bag. So if Virginia Tech or really any other team wants to get to Carolina, wants to slow down Sam Howell, yes, they've got a very solid offensive line. But if you can pressure Sam Howell, force him into quick decisions, take away the run, this UNC offense, it, it may not look like the well-oiled machine that we saw, you know, for most of the, the Sam Howell era to this point. No, and, you know, it's it's one of those things where you just look at it on paper and to have four guys that contributed so mightily to a program like North Carolina all go in the draft in the same year is almost unprecedented but the fact that all of that now leaves this vacuum on their depth chart in needing four different players now to step up into those roles and I'm not talking about step up and replace them one for one that would be impossible so what they're relying on is more than one guy meaning they're going to need six to seven guys to step up to replace the production of the four guys that just left. And I see a lot of uh, projections on the offense this year, and they're still projected to be a a great offense, and and they should be a good offense. But I really don't think people are paying attention enough to what North Carolina had lost and what North Carolina has replacing what they lost. Because there's almost no way, it's really a self-fulfilling prophecy, that North Carolina is going to take a slight step back on offense this year just because of the situation they find themselves in. So I'm glad you went through that kind of line by line to point at, here's what they lost, here's what they're replacing it with. Now, could they come out there, not miss a beat, and cruise just like they did last year? Absolutely. Anything's possible. It's college football. That's why we all love it. But chances are they're going to struggle replacing that production, and they're going to struggle worse in the beginning of the year than you know the middle and the end of the year as players settle into new roles and those kind of things. So I, I totally agree with you. I, I'm in lockstep with you. I think this is one of the areas where people immediately kind of tense up when they talk about you know North Carolina and their offense and you know Sam Howell and make no mistake they're good, um, but just because they did it last year doesn't mean it, it's going to be you know smooth sailing on the offensive side at least in the beginning of the season. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. And 
you know, we, we mentioned it in the preview, coastal preview with Carolina. Bo Corrales not available for this yeah. game. No Bo. Doesn't sound it's like he's going to be available for a while. Yeah. Um, and then another guy who's been from directly from Mac Brown's mouth, Justin Olsen, sophomore receiver, is going to see a lot of snaps. Former three-star recruit, you know, I think his composite ranking was .83. So nothing to write home about. Never caught a pass in college football. So I'm not super high on what to expect from this Carolina offense. Yes, they have Sam Howell. Yes, I like Josh Downs. And that's going to be kind of the biggest thing to watch is Josh Downs, you know, a guy like Brown who can maybe blow the top off a defense. If they can limit the big plays, Virginia Tech that is, then they should firmly be entrenched in this football game because I don't suspect that we're going to see a performance like we saw last year against the run, which leads me to my second thing to watch is, can the Hokies protect the middle of the field? So, I mean, 413 yards, I mean, that's, uh, yeah, that's going to leave a bruise on the old heart. You're going to remember that one. But from what I just outlined, there is nowhere, I don't even think it'd be possible to have a repeat performance, and I'm knocking on wood here, but I just don't see it out of this Carolina backfield. Yes, I think Carolina's got a really solid offensive line. Uh, I think that'll help a guy like Ty Chandler. But I'd like Virginia Tech's front six enough to where I don't think this will be an issue. I think the big thing to watch is as the game goes on and as we start to see guys rotate in and out for Virginia Tech, you know, are they going to be are they gonna have that endurance to kind of maintain peak performance throughout the entire game, which is always a challenge in week one. The weather's not going to be super hot in Blacksburg. It looks like it's going to be uh, 79 for the high. It looks like it's going to get down to the 50s, so that'll help. It's not like they're playing in Tallahassee or anything, but um, definitely something to watch. And then the linebacking core, you know, not just uh, in the run game, but over the middle of the field, the short passes, things like that. Um, what kind of role is Shamari Connor going to play? Who is going to be the guy who shadows Josh Downs? Because he's going to be the guy out of the slot who um, Virginia Tech's going to have to focus on the most. And then kind of a sub uh, thing to watch for here, just as we're talking about the defense, Tim, is Jermaine Waller. Is he really 100% back? How much rust is going to be there? Because he is really kind of the boundary uh, corner that this defense um, that this defense relies on. So I'll be interested to see who who Jermaine is following all game. Is it is that going to be Josh Downs? Is Jamari Connor going to take that role? I'd imagine they're going to probably stick Waller on him. Um, and we're going to see real quick if uh, if Waller's up to the task and if he's ready to go for the season. Yeah, and I mean, especially with this offense that UNC runs, the style of offense that they have, limiting big plays is going to be key. And when they're down some proven talent, it'll be even more important to make sure that you don't get beat over the top, that you keep them contained. And even if it is a death by a thousand cuts, it's much better than you know giving up long touchdown passes, long touchdown runs. Just keep them in front of you. And I, I, you know when you look at the talent on Virginia Tech's defense, there's no reason to think they can't come out here and limit the UNC offense and make it difficult for them. Um, you know, based on what you've been over. So I, I agree. Obviously, the middle of the field going to be huge to cover. Dax is going to have a lot on his plate as far as pass coverage goes um, when he's in there. And, you know, that's not an area he's he's excelled at. 
So that'll be something to watch. And then, like you, obviously the main guy on UNC's offense out wide is Downs. And we saw what he did in the bowl game. And he was one of the guys that came in with all the plaudits, a highly rated guy um, who showed those flashes last year, who now immediately gets thrust into their main playmaking role on the edge. And so limiting him, going to take uh, you know some stepping up in the cornerback room. But, but I think the guys are there to get it done. I really do. So the last thing I'm looking for here, Hokie offense versus the UNC defense. I really think the UNC defense is uh, going to be the biggest hurdle for Virginia Tech in this game. I think it's an experienced group. They didn't lose a lot. They did lose Chas Surratt in the middle. Uh, but this group is pretty much intact from uh, what we saw a year ago from the Orange Bowl. I don't believe Surratt played in that game. Um, I mean, the Orange Bowl that they lost, 42-27. to But um, at the end of the day, UNC's defense, you know, if you look at that uh, defensive line, fairly deep. They're going to be able to mix guys in and out. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, similar to what we were talking about on the defensive line, how Virginia Tech offensive how their offensive line can hold up to that over the course of the game because I think the offensive line is good. I mean, I don't think it's going to be probably as good as it was last year um, because we lost some big, big guys off of that line. But um, Vance Vice is still going to rotate guys in and out. He's going to have those guys ready to go. Um, That'll be kind of the key to, you know, I think Braxton Burmeister's overall performance is, you know, what kind of pocket is he going to have? Is he going to be on the run for most of the game? Are we going to be able to run the football? I think those are the big things uh, that um, we're going to be able to see kind of in the first, you know, three to five series is, you know, what kind of offense is Tech going to be able to run? Are they going to be able to protect, um, kind of win that battle in the trenches, which I think is going to be critical in this game for both teams. Um, but if Tech comes out and they look good, Tim, they can move the ball if they can compete at a high level. I mean, there's there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic heading into the rest of the schedule. I mean, I think a, a defense, a defense that can really only compete with UNC that is on their schedule is Notre Dame. Right. Um, we highlighted Miami's defense. It's not what it has been. Um, this is probably the best secondary that they're going to face all year. Um, lucky them, it's week one, which <laughs> is uh, extremely challenging for Burmeister. Um, you know, finally. With all these expectations, having having uh, the the offense firmly on his shoulders, well, you know you've got some of the best uh, best defensive backs in the ACC to go up against. Tony Grimes, Storm Duck, or your lockdown corners. How the receiving cores kind of holds up uh, there will be key. But again, you know Storm Duck, yeah, I would say is a top corner. Tony Grimes has the potential to be. If you listen to all the pundits, Tony Grimes is already a lockdown corner, and I don't think he's proven that yet. He's Not still yet. a super young player. I mean, he's still considered a true freshman. He was super young last year. He was the age of a high school senior. So, I mean, I suspect Tony Grimes is going to be a first-day NFL draft pick. But at this point in his career, I think there's still some, you know, probably some young tendencies that Virginia Tech could potentially kind of take care of. And I think the the biggest thing for – Burmeister and helping him really kind of get off to a strong start is being able to run the football. If Virginia Tech can run the football, I think it's going to open up this offense. Um, UNC's got a very good defensive line, very good linebacking core. You know, 
it's it's going to be a challenge. I don't know if I'm going to take the over in this game, which is 64 and a half. Um, but I do suspect that Virginia Tech's going to be able to score points. Um, they're going to have to because even what we said with the new look UNC offense, they're still going to score some points. Um, it's just how consistent can Virginia Tech go against probably uh, the top one or two defenses they're going to face all season. Yeah, I agree. It, it's one of those games where you just want to make sure you limit the big play early. <clears throat> you know, you don't want to give up a big play and kind of take the wind out of your sails. Momentum's going to be huge. And, you know, as far as the offense, I, I hope we run some easy passes to get Braxton kind of settled in, making some easy throws and building consistency. Because I, I do think this game is about as toss-up as toss-up can get for, you know, such a, a discrepancy in the rankings this early. Um it's just going to be important. Don't give up the big plays because this is not one of those games where you want to spot you and see another 21 point lead. If we can just stay in the game consistently, they're, they're going to be there at the end for, you know, to have a chance to win it. But, you know, there's always that danger of, you know, Hey, we'll give up a couple of big plays early and then you're pressing for the rest of the game. And I don't want Braxton in a situation where he has to press and has to make throws that he's not quite comfortable making yet. But you get him some, some in a rhythm early, open up the running game, allow him to lean on that and get into the game, get into that rhythm. I think there's a good chance here that Virginia Tech finds success against that UNC defense as good as they are. Yeah, and no doubt. And, I mean, to end up the what to watch for, you know, we talked about it a little bit, is you got to pressure Sam Howell if you're going to win. Um, if you can make him uncomfortable, move around in the pocket, take away the run, and force him to, you know, throw down the field under pressure, uh, Virginia Tech is going to have a really good shot at winning. Um, but it's a big but. Sam Howell is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. He's the best quarterback in the ACC. So you're going to have to be on your game. And even if you're blitzing, if you're bringing that pressure, that's going to open up other areas of the football field. So it's going to be pivotal that Virginia Tech is able to basically cover their grounds when they're sending that heat. Because I think they are going to send the heat. They have to send the heat. They have to be able to get in that backfield because you cannot let Sam Howell just sit back there and just pick you apart. No matter how good your secondary is, if you're not pressuring Sam Howell and you're giving him time to throw the ball, you can take away the run. It won't matter at that point. It doesn't matter how inexperienced his receivers are. He will eventually find a window and get it downfield. So I think that is a good way to kind of end it there, Tim. What's your prediction? The line is five and a half. Yes, the line is five and a half. I think Virginia Tech loses this one in a very, very close game. Um, You know, something 28 to 31, something along those lines. I, I Like I said, I picked North Carolina to win. This game's going to tell me a whole lot about how this season is going to shake out. Um, and I'm not into moral victories. I, I, I put no stock into that. But this is one where you'd like to see Virginia Tech keep it close even if they lose. Um, just to sort of kind of get a feeling of how the, the season's going to shake out. But I do. I, I like North Carolina to win but not by much. It's a complete toss-up. Uh, three points sounds about right to me, so you know, a 34-31 scoreline, 28-31, something along those lines. 
So as I uh, kind of alluded to in the predictions, I'm going to go Virginia Tech uh, to win outright. Uh, so obviously to cover as well. So I think it's just the perfect time to get a team like North Carolina. It's a team that I think will eventually find itself, that being North Carolina, um, as the season wears on 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 the offensive side of the ball. Uh, but I think there's going to be a few things to work out. And I think Virginia Tech has enough playmakers on the defensive side of the ball to rattle the cage, to get at them early, and to at least put doubt into some of these young receivers' minds. Um, and then to hopefully you know, be able to get that pressure onto to Sam Howell and force erratic decisions. And like you, Tim, I think it's going to be a close game either way. I'd be super surprised if this is a blowout in one direction or the other. Um, I'd be more surprised if Virginia Tech blew him out um, because it's just so much of an unknown with what to expect um, on the offensive side of the ball. But I'd, I'd like the first-team defense enough for Virginia Tech to think that they can definitely pull the upset at home which pains me to say against uh, a team like North Carolina or just the name North Carolina. But I like Virginia Tech. They get off to a 1-0 start, and, uh, you know, they give uh, Fuente a nice little a nice little boost to uh, go into the rest of the uh, September schedule and, and conference schedule and go 1-0 in the uh, ACC Coast to get started. So let's go to the next game, Tim. We've got USF at NC State. Kicks off on Thursday night, 6.30 Central, 7.30 Eastern. NC State is an 18-and-a-half favorite. Who do you got? I got NC State covering that spread. And, um, you know, the the one one thing to watch for in this game, uh, just see how Devin Leary looks coming off that injury last year before the injury. (coughs) Excuse me. He was looking like one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC. So we'll see if he's able to pick up where he left off and really just kind of look and see how the whole North Carolina State teams look because this is one of the better teams, I think, in the ACC. Um, And starting off with a team like South Florida, who's no pushover, will give you a pretty good indication of of how they're looking. Um, But all eyes on Devin Leary on that front. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm taking NC State minus 18.5. USF is not a good football team. I mean, they're, no, no. I mean, they're, they're not the a good football team. What I meant is they're not, um, they're not like Presbyterian or Richmond or something right. along those lines. They've got a bit more of a pulse than that, so you can actually judge a little bit of how Leary's looking based on how he's performing against them this weekend. Yeah, but you think USF, and you think maybe well the Jim Levitt era back no, in the day. No, they're not that. They're um, they're not even the Charlie Strong era South Florida Bulls. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I like NC State there uh, for all the reasons that you alluded to. Alabama-Miami, Tim. So number one versus number 14 in Atlanta. Alabama's an 18.5-point favorite. Let me run through some things here with Alabama real quick. Sure. They lost six first-rounders from last year's national championship team. That includes Heisman finalist quarterback Mac Jones. That includes Heisman winner Devonta Smith. First-round pick Jalen Waddle, first-round pick Najee Harris, three starters from the nation's best offensive line, top-ten pick Patrick Sertan at quarterback, and a uh, early second-round pick in Christian Barmore, as well as four positional coaches and their offensive coordinator. Yeah, just another offseason for Alabama. They're ranked number one in the country. Doesn't that just make you 
sick to hear. Oh, yeah. Sure does. I mean, that would set almost any other program in the country back, you know, three years to have to recover for something like that. But that is just what Nick Saban has built. So we're now in the Bryce Young era. 2020 recruit, five-star, number two recruit overall. Very diff- different quarterback than you know what we saw out of Mac Jones. He's got a lot of mobility. He's pretty small, like Michael Vick size, six foot, one ninety-four. He's going to bring a different dynamic to this uh, Alabama offense. Um, and if you look at Alabama, they've got a very deep positional group at running back. I don't know if they've got a Najee Harris in there, but they've got a lot of guys who we should expect to see have pretty solid games against the Miami defense that has been vulnerable to stopping the run uh, over the last couple of years and you know defensively Bama lost some big names but they've also got a lot of guys coming back as well so it's going to be one of the best groups in the country I don't know how Miami will be able to really move the ball against them even with De'Ara King Um, it's that first game back from the ACL injury. So we're really going to kind of get to see real quick, uh, how Derek King can hold up. Um, but I think like we alluded to in the coastal preview, I like the Miami offense more than the defense this year. I do think Miami will score some points. Um, I just don't think they're going to be able to stop the run. So I was kind of torn on this when I first looked at it. I was like, you know what? Minus 18 and a half, you know, I don't know how I don't pick Alabama, um, I am going to pick Alabama to cover that, but I think it'll be somewhat close. Yeah, I mean, I, I do too. I, I think Miami is is going to cover that spread. Um, I think it's going to be closer than a lot of people think, and you know, D.R. King is just the kind of quarterback who can figure out a way to score against that Alabama defense. Now, it won't be much, um, but I, I do think people are looking at this and expecting Alabama or yeah, Alabama to just roll and blow Miami out, and I just I just don't see that. I feel Miami hanging around in this one. Maybe Manny Diaz will be able to work that defense uh, in, into a, a lather before the game and get him ready to go, but um, I expect Miami to lose. I don't think it'll be by 18 and a half. Yeah, I mean, we just don't know what to what the Alabama office is going to look like, you know, what Bryce nope. Young is going to look like, so it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, number five, Georgia versus number three, Clemson and Charlotte. And can I just say, so we've got Alabama, Miami, and Atlanta. We've got Georgia, Clemson, and Charlotte. Can we play these games at a specific university? Like these yeah, should be home be nice. Homes. It would be nice. I mean, that's what college football, we, we have, you know, you know who I want to see play in Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte? I want to see the Carolina Panthers play there because that's yeah. where they play. Okay I want to see Clemson play in Death Valley, and I want to go to Athens and watch Georgia play football. I don't want to go to Charlotte. Yeah, I mean, I would okay. love to see this game taking place in Sanford Stadium as opposed to Bank of America. Um, and I think everybody would, um, you know, or Death Valley for that matter. Uh, you know, it, it's one of the things that makes college football great, seeing, you know, how, how much the fans get into it, how loud the stadiums get. And I agree, it takes the wind out of the sails a little bit with these neutral site games. Does I mean I'm I'm all for it in conference championships and whatnot, but you know I just I don't get it. Anyways, Clemson's a minus three and a half point favorite. Over under for this game is fifty one and a half. Really the game of the week. College football playoff implications early. You've got JT Daniels who is firmly locked in as the guy for the Bulldogs, but going up a very experienced uh, up against the very experienced Brent Venables defense. 
Uh, Georgia does return its top five rushers from last season. I don't think there's a Nick Chubb or Todd Gurley in this group, but should be pretty solid. They did lose their best receiver in the spring, George Pickens, to a torn ACL, so that's a big loss. Defensively, I mean, they have talent everywhere you look on uh, the defensive line at linebacker. Very, very deep groups at both of those positions. They did lose a ton of guys in the secondary. Uh, They brought in some guys on the portal, most notably former Clemson cornerback De'Aaron Kendrick, um, who was dismissed from the team, now plays at Georgia, so that's a little chippy uh, matchup to watch there. Um, but, you know, I think, uh, you know, if the Georgia D is vulnerable, it's going to be in that secondary. On the flip side, you've got that new-look Clemson offense with uh, DJU at quarterback, Lynn J. Dixon at running back, uh, no Mari Rogers, no Cornell Powell, uh, but they do get Justin Ross back at the receiving core. Um, we did see DJU perform very well in two games last year, um, so I think, you know, they will be able to move the ball, but... I'm kind of leaning Georgia on this one, plus three and a half. I think it's going to be a close game. Uh, I just, I think Georgia's got a little bit more going for them, or maybe, maybe they're just, I think, the better package to start the season than Clemson is at this point. But could definitely go the other way. Yeah, no, I, I I'm not going to bet you. on this game. No, I, I wouldn't either. But I'm taking Georgia on this one, um, plus three and a half. Sounds good to me. I'll take that when you consider the two uh, two sides. I think Clemson just has maybe a little too many questions that need answering in the beginning of the season. Um, so I'm going to lean on Georgia's strength there. And, uh, you know, what is a great football program? Obviously, in Georgia, it doesn't get much better than that. Um, not that Clemson is not good. You know, I just, I'm, I'm not ready to jump out on the Clemson bandwagon quite yet until I see what they're able to do here. Um, but I think those unanswered questions are going to lead to a little trepidation on my part, so I'm not going to pick them. Uh, I'll take Georgia plus three and a half. Sunday night, number nine, Notre Dame at Florida State. Uh, Notre Dame is a seven and a half point favorite going down to Tallahassee. Run heavy attack from Notre Dame. I don't think I'm going to love this Notre Dame offense this year, but I like it enough to beat Florida State by eight or more. So I'm going Notre Dame. Yeah, it's it's a pretty easy pick for me, too, here. I mean, part of me wants to pick uh, FSU to cover that spread just because it's going to be down in Tallahassee. It's going to be humid. It's going to be hot. Um, but I just I can't see it. Florida State just not looking like a great team this year. And uh, Notre Dame, even with Cone limiting what that offense is able to do, is going to come out and be able to run the ball at will against that Florida State defense. So I'm going to take Notre Dame minus 7.5. Louisville, Ole Miss, Monday Night Football. Ole Miss is a... My lines are moving on me here. So they were Uh a a 9.5 point favorite. Now they're a 10.5 per fan duel. Over under in this game, 75.5. Which I'm definitely taking (laughs) because that's going to be fun. Yeah. But I think I'm going Ole Miss. I think Ole Miss uh, has the chance to have a really good season. Uh, they've got Lane Quiffin, so Quiffin. I I said Lane Quiffin. Lane, Lane Kiffin. Quiffin. <laughs> Lane Quiffin. Lane Quiffin. They got Lane Kiffin, so lots of lots of swag there. Um, 
I think uh, there's too many playmakers that Louisville is uh, is replacing. I think it's going to be tough for them to keep up in this. I do think there's going to be a lot of points scored, uh, but I'm going to go Ole Miss uh, minus ten and a half, um, and I am taking that over. Yeah, I mean, having it down <clears throat> in Oxford, it, you got to think that Louisville's going to struggle a little bit. I mean, we're not sure exactly what Louisville is going to be this year. That's one of the teams I have kind of the most questions about as far as how they're going to replace a lot of the talent they lost in Hawkins and Tutu Atwell. But you're running up against kind of a buzzsaw in, you know, a Lane Kiffin team, which is going to have some hype around it. SEC program, you know, I I think that 10.5 is a fine number. I certainly expect Ole Miss to cover that um, and obviously take the win. So go ahead, give me Ole Miss minus 10.5 versus Louisville. What is your uh, ACC wildcard game of the week? What are you picking? What do you like? ACC wildcard game of the week? <laughs> well, if you like close games, <clears throat> Syracuse versus Ohio should be Love extremely it. fun because those two programs are on very even footing right now. That is how far the mighty, mighty Tino Babers has fallen. And so going in, I think Syracuse is maybe a two, two and a half point favorite in this one. Um, so obviously you expect a really close game. Syracuse going down to vaunted Athens, Ohio, going to take a formerly Frank Solich coached uh, Ohio Bobcats team. And, um, you know, you can catch that one on CBS Sports Network if you're interested in that. It's going to be the, the rare 7 o'clock matchup uh, for probably one of the least hyped games all year. But I honestly think this one is actually going to be fun to watch. Um, because you know a Mac school is going to bring any sort of hype they have for playing an ACC opponent, uh, regardless of how good, or in this case bad, that ACC opponent may be. So I'm going to watch it. Syracuse right now is minus two in the spread. I'm going to take Ohio plus two in this game, and I expect the Bobcats to win. Love it. Uh, I'm going to go Wake Forest minus 31.5 against Old Dominion. Um, Old Dominion didn't play a football game last year. Uh, they're considered to be one of the top 10 worst teams in the country this year. Um, they've been pretty much in disarray since they beat Virginia Tech in 2018. Um, so I like Wake Forest. I think they've got an offense that is going to be able to put up points. Typically points spreads like that I stay away from, but I thought that was kind of low-hanging fruit for me. Um, what is your random game of the week? Cross-college football. could be anything. <clears throat> Sorry, obviously I've been struggling with a cough this entire episode. I don't know what's going on. Um, But as far as my game of the week goes, uh, I wanted to pick something on Saturday. And the game that kind of jumped off the page to me in what may be a cool Big Ten matchups, Indiana and Iowa, you got the 17th-ranked Indiana Hoosiers versus the 18th-ranked Iowa Hawkeyes. It is in Iowa, so it's going to be at Kinnick Stadium there. And something about Indiana just really turned a corner last year when you talk about a perennial punching bag that really just came out made a statement I think it was that Penn State win where they got the uh, Penix stretched the ball across the goal line by maybe one eighth of an inch to give them the win as time expired Um, so if you expect some maybe opening weekend fireworks I think Indiana would be a good team to provide it right now they are three and a half point underdogs I like Indiana I'm going to go ahead and take Indiana for the it's an upset by the lines, but it wouldn't be an upset based on ranking. I like Indiana plus three and a half versus Iowa. 
Yeah, Indiana had a great year last year. And, um, you know, just Indiana-Iowa, just a great Midwestern matchup. I I think I've been on the record on this show. I love the state of Iowa. It's an underrated state. Uh, The game I'm going with, Tim, I'm going with LSU at UCLA. UCLA is a plus three-and-a-half point favorite, or underdog, excuse me. Um, You know, they obviously uh, performed well last week against Hawaii. The reason I'm going with them is two reasons. One, they've got a game under their belt. It's at home. Obviously, just a wild game day atmosphere. Um, If you saw the pictures from the crowds, I mean... I don't know if LSU is going to be able to handle that kind of noise, but <laughs> that was <clears throat> that was one of the worst crowds. I mean, three thousand, maybe three thousand. So they they they're claiming thirty two thousand, almost no thirty three. And I I realize the Rose Bowl is a large stadium, but. They did not have thirty three thousand people there. I'm sorry. No, I mean There's I was no not way. even being facetious about that three thousand. It looked to be three to five thousand people in those stands to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it was bad. And honestly, when you talk about the state of college sports in Los Angeles and the people coming out to support those teams and how it's dwindled over the years, I mean, right now in Bruinland, they're at like DefCon five. I, I don't know how you're going to get people to start showing up. If Chip Kelly isn't going to do it, um, I don't know what will. I mean, you think that would have hyped up that program a little bit, but um, good news for the Bruins is the product on the field looks good. It looks like a Chip yeah. Kelly team finally. Um, yeah, I so, think yeah. that's the thing, right? Is the uh, they've been horrible. Yeah. So I mean, that's part of it. Um, but I, I liked their run game last week, and you know, you got to consider LSU. They've been displaced because of Hurricane Ida which mm-hmm. we're dealing with here in Nashville now. It's a tropical storm. I think that's a difficult challenge, plus they have to go all the way to Los Angeles. You know, they didn't have a very good season last year, first game of the year. I'm I'm thinking UCLA is able to kind of take that one at home. There's no advantage um, for UCLA as far as home field goes. I think it's just kind of everything around this game uh, feels like Chip Kelly can get a nice little LSU victory under his hat and go uh, 2-0 to start the season. Yeah, and I like that pick, too. I think, obviously, Chip is going to be fired up to potentially get that W. Obviously, he wants to make his impression felt um, out there in, in, at UCLA. And LSU, man, what a what a wild ride the last two years have been for that football program. So it'll be interesting to see how they shake up in the beginning of the season. Yeah, it really has. When, by the way, I don't know if you've noticed, I've watched a lot of NFL preseason football. Um, way more than I ever have. Jamar Chase can't catch the football. He cannot. He cannot. I don't know if that was like a product of not playing at all last season. And I mean, Caleb Farley's looked very rusty as well for the Titans, uh, which is to be expected. But yeah, I mean, when your receiver, your pick's fifth overall, and you you're dropping the ball left and right. I mean, that's uh, well, that's yeah. A reports uh, reports about Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. Uh, early returns on those two this year have not been, I think, what everybody expected. Um, seems like Joe Burrow has shaken off a lot of rust and, and you know, a lot of uh, physical side effects, I'm sure, from that horrific injury he had last year. And again, uh, Jamar Chase, obviously, when you spend that much draft capital on a wide receiver, you expect them to perform at a certain level, and it seems like he's not quite there yet. So uh, 
interesting. The Bengals are going to be a fun NFL team to watch this year. Yep, they they most certainly are. But that's that's our show. Uh, another long one, but uh, these are going to start shortening up. But we had a lot to talk about today, so hopefully you enjoyed it. Um, and again, please uh, leave a review if you're liking it. Five stars, preferably four if you have to. Um, and then anything worse than that, shoot us a DM, let us know. Just tell us what's on your mind, and we'll we'll get back to you. We'll we'll chat it out. That's all we can ask for. But Tim, any uh, any final thoughts before we close this out? I'm just so ready. <clears throat> I'm so ready to see fans in the stands. It, it, it's hard to even quantify how soulless college football could feel without fans in the stands. But the fact that we are less than a week away from seeing the pageantry, seeing the fans return to the stadiums, um, I am just so excited to watch college football all weekend that I can't put it into words. And I hope you guys out there are excited as well. Um, We made it through. We got through some pretty dark days, uh, hopefully into a brighter tomorrow. And hopefully some of those positive vibes are going to carry over into what should be a good college football season. Yeah, there's no doubt. I can't wait to see the images of Blacksburg. Uh, I'll have to live vicariously through uh, Twitter and Instagram. Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't wait. So... Thursday is rapidly approaching. Uh, that's when USF and C State kicks off, and then it's going to be a whole lot of football on the old television screen through, uh, through Monday night, and then that leads us into the NFL season. So it's, it's a great time of year. Uh, very happy that uh, that September is uh, upon us. And uh, yeah, thanks uh, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll talk to you next week.